Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm so glad that you've joined us here in the Where We Land studio today with my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hey, everyone. And special guest, Darren Potter. Hi, it's good to be with you. Hey guys, we're so glad to have you today as we're talking about resiliency in the workplace. We hope you join us for the full discussion ahead. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today to be a part of the podcast. It is me and Steven here in the studio. We're without uh, Laura. We're without Laura today. Yeah. She had some previous engagements. Yeah. But we were so glad to have special guest Darren Potter with us. And uh, Darren, why don't you just take a moment to, to introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, yeah. I, uh, so my name's Darren. I, I've been in, in full-time ministry, uh, vocational ministry, for about 26 years, 27 years now. And for most of that time, I was pastoring a church. However, uh, starting in 2009, I began volunteering about 30 hours a month with the Roanoke City Police here in our valley. And uh, just something I fell in love with. I really, um, really something that I connected well with. And I saw that there was great need Mm. and um, felt led of God uh, at the end of 2018 to resign my church and to step into chaplaincy full-time and and started shield chaplaincy um, which is a uh, which is an acronym for something it's an acronym shield yeah. is an acronym you've got a good memory it's uh, serve heal inspire encourage love and develop okay uh, just things I hope to do with the chaplaincy I, I uh, primarily focus on the officers and their families which is a little different, I think, for most police chaplains. Well, and even the whole concept of being a police chaplain, I knew that that was something that I think we met a few years back uh, mm-hmm. doing a funeral together. And I'll never forget over that time, the, hearing your passion for what you're doing now, Just I, I think it was almost at the beginning stages of you stepping into a lot of that full time. And it was like, to 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 just see your passion for that and your heart for that like that spoke volumes to me but also it was one of those things that i don't think i had ever understood how much of a lack there is in terms of um emergency service departments regarding a lack of chaplains i mean i guess i just kind of assumed that you know a large police force would have a chaplain or that would be a part of it and then hearing you talk about some of that like that's not as common i guess as I would maybe originally think it would. It's it's really not, and uh, a lot of people who are familiar with the military and that kind of thing, they're familiar with uh, military chaplains, and I think there is a great deal of assumption that uh, that first responders have uh, chaplains involved. Some departments do, and and many do not have any involved. Um, but there's several challenges with that, and and one of the challenges. Uh, is that, and I'll speak strictly of law enforcement at this time. That you know, they are—they're not the most trusting group in the world. They, uh, uh, when you're in a in a career field where people are lying to you almost constantly. I mean, ninety-five percent of the time they're being lied to, and and they they deal with. The, the, I guess the common. Um, kind of tagline they have with is that 95% of their time is spent dealing with 5% of the population. 
and it's it's not necessarily the five percent that most of us want to deal with, and so they deal with the same people over and over again. They they get uh, they they get they get a, a an edge to them, and and they just are pretty cynical and not trusting of people. So when you think about chaplains, most of them are would be a pastor who would come in and want to volunteer a little bit of time. Um, I can tell you from my experience, it took me showing up that 30 to 40 hours a month for almost three years wow. before I was widely received. And you built a lot of rapport with those guys over that time. I did. It took time. It just took that ministry of presence, um, being visible and available um, consistently. I, I went um, 90% of the time, my ride-alongs would be on a Sunday night. So mm. they knew uh, Chaplain Potter, Chaplain Potter, Chaplain Potter. And of course, most pastors, um, you know, it's a, it's a side thing for them. They're just wanting to volunteer a little bit. And so they'll show up once or twice and it's like, hey, I, you know, I did a couple of ride-alongs. You know, the guys just didn't talk to me. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if this is for me. And they really didn't commit the time uh, necessary to kind of build those connections. Yeah. So as you think back in your life, like the way that God kind of shaped you and prepared you for that ministry, what are some things that you look back to saying like, hey, that, that, that really <laughs> instilled in me like that desire uh, to serve in that community in that way? Well, there's several things. Uh, first, first of all, not the least of which is that uh, a former police officer who was shot in the line of duty, and and like uh, I think he coded two or three times, and they brought him back. God spared his life, uh, saved his soul, and called him to be an evangelist. And he mm. he hit the road, and he actually came to my church when I was eight years old and preached uh, preached a series of, of revival services and. Um, God used that former police officer to lead me to Christ, and um, hmm. and, and uh, so there's that. But uh, I also um, – one of my professors in college um, was special forces during Vietnam and uh, then became a drill sergeant and for 12 years. And then my New Testament Greek professor and a chaplain in the reserves. Huh. And, and uh, he had a big impact on me as well. Uh, but beyond those things, a couple, couple of other things I would say is, one, the way that God has gifted me and kind of wired me is, um, is for pastoral care. It's sure. to just get in the trenches and, and do life with people, walk through things with people. Right. Uh, that was in my wheelhouse when I was pastoring. And um, it in at least in my eyes chaplaincy is pastoral care sure you know just sure. the congregation uh maybe it's a little more colorful at times and <laughs> and uh a little rough sometimes around the edges uh but uh, yeah i think th those things and and uh, then a, a friend from high school who after his time in the army became an officer in, in another area of virginia in danville actually and and um he reached out to me about 15 years ago now, uh, struggling mightily with post-traumatic stress, and uh, was seeing counselors at the VA um, here in Salem and and elsewhere. And I just walked with him through some things as a friend. 
but that's what opened my eyes to how much law enforcement um, goes through. Sure, sure. And, uh, so as you think about Shield and the ministry there that you have, what are what are what are a few things that you're really endeavoring to do with the officers that are there? I mean, kind of kind of walk people through what it, kind of a regular week in your ministry looks like. So just some of the things I do with the chaplaincy, I. Uh, again, being present, I, I go to their. They call them lineups. It's it's their uh, pre-shift um, briefings that they have, and every department holds those a little differently. Um, I serve three departments now: Roanoke City, Roanoke County, and Salem, somewhat. Um, but I, I try to be present for um, in a neighborhood of fifteen to twenty of those a month, and. Um, just to interact with the men and women. I try to laugh with them, cry with them if I need to, that kind of thing. Uh, most of the time, uh, I am able to have prayer with uh, with the officers before they hit the road. Um, that's where I can um, – sometimes um, an officer will pull me aside and say, hey, would you – could you ride with me today? I, there's something I want to run by you or sure. maybe someone will put a, you know, little word in my ear about riding with somebody. And so I'll hop in with a specific officer with the hopes of having a conversation. Uh, so that's some of what I do. I, I, um, I know we've talked earlier about this, but I, I, I've been doing a lot of premarital counseling and a lot of weddings. Which is really cool to think so. about the opportunity that you've had, not just to influence you know, the law enforcement officers themselves, but you're there to help support their families, which I think is so vital. Absolutely. It's, yeah. uh, family life for these guys is pretty rough with their, their shift work and, and um some of their, their stressors that they have, you know, they, if you think about law enforcement, they're, they're, they're always at the ready, right? They always have to be um, alert to what's going on around them. They could be eating a sandwich one moment, sitting in their patrol car and then called out to uh, an active, you know, shooter situation or someone being stabbed and that kind of thing. So, Mm. They've got that adrenaline rush, and they they spike up, and so they're all amped up, and then they they're on that scene for a while, and they kind of come down from that, but they're still having to be alert and aware of what's going on around them, and then there's another call, and and so there's these big spikes, right, and right. they stay the stay in this kind of hyper vigilant state for a twelve hour shift, and then they go home, hmm. and they walk through the door, and their spouse is like. What do you want to eat? Right, like, right, and they're yeah. coming at it from a whole. Yeah, you know, like I don't care. Like I, I've been yeah. making, I've been having to go and deal with people all day, making decisions for them because police get called in when people can't make, make decisions. decisions for themselves, yeah. right? Yeah, and then they're all kind of worked up, and they they don't necessarily want to have time at that moment with the family, and so it's like it's that fine line, right, of well, trying to work through that coming off the shift, I guess. And, and people who uh, can explain the science a lot better than me, but you know, when when you're when you're up here for this long, mm-hmm. you you have to be down here for that same uh, roughly that same amount of time to kind of have this. Most of us are, are right here, 
yep. and then it's on this yep. graph yep. where if you think about a graph we're, we're, we 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 kind of stay uh, uh just above and just below that midline point where officers are spiking real high and they stay fairly high sometimes they crash low and but when they get off shift they need time to wind down and, mm-hmm. and just kind of find that place towards the middle of the graph again, if you will. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, it sounds to me like you have a really awesome ministry. I know we've talked about it for the past couple of years and um, I was really excited when you came on the podcast because I know you've ministered personally to a friend of mine who's on the force. And so I'm really thankful for what you do. And, um, today though, we want to take what you, your background and kind of what you do And then we want to use that information to talk to the masses about resiliency in the workplace. And specifically, I think from a background of working with people who have like what we just described, a job that spikes all the time and a lot of stress and a lot of triggers and stressors and all those things that go into that, um, taking that background and then applying it to stress maybe in the workplace, uh, because it's been very interesting looking into some of the um, stats, if you will, yeah. of stress. We live in the age of stress. Right. Um, we really do. <laughs> like I was looking at it earlier and like I found this one stat that they estimated that 83% of U.S. workers suffer from work-related stress at some point mm. in their overall year. And Gallup did a poll that said that 55% of Americans are stressed during each day. Which is over half. Which is like <laughs> over <laughs> half of what? the American workforce <laughs> yeah. is stressed out. And so we, we, we use words like stress management, stress reliever, stress relief. And these are now just normal parts of our vocabulary. Yeah. So um, I think it's interesting you mentioned a study a couple years ago, uh, CNN released a study that cited that people who work 11 hour days, get this, are 250% more likely to become depressed, which actually, Mm -hmm. as we think about like the line of work that you're in and the people that you're serving, most of those people work probably more than an 11 hour work day, not only to average or do they? I mean, it, it varies from department. Yeah, so, um, yeah. two of the departments I serve uh, work twelve-hour shifts. Right. Uh, the one department rotates every six weeks from nights to days. Hmm. Every six weeks, one of the departments I serve actually rotates from nights to days every two weeks, twelve-hour shifts. And I, I've been um, I've been to some conferences, and and there's a, a sleep deprivation expert there, and said. That shift of doing a 12-hour shift and, and switching nights to days every two weeks is the worst possible scenario um, for a person. Yeah, that has to be that, so hard. Yeah, and, and, and yet some of the guys there really seem to like it. Hmm. However, I think the long-term toll, toll on what that, that looks like, yes, yeah, it's alarming. Yeah, so, I mean, you think about it, though. I mean, the amount of stress that – People say we're more likely to experience to become depressed for people who work an 11 hour workday than more than an eight hour workday. And then you add to that just the line of work or, you know, maybe the people who are listening today, you know, you come from a, a job that is a very high stress job. Mm-hmm. And um, and you think about that. So so today, Stephen, help set up the discussion of where we're heading today. Um, like, I guess maybe the best thing to do would be for us to describe a little bit. What do we what do we mean when we talk about stress? And then stressors. And um, I mean, I guess maybe Darren could help speak to this a little bit, but um, I guess there, you know, 
stress would be one of those things, a state that people probably are living in. But to think about a stressor, what would that be? Yeah, well, like for stress, we're talking about that mental or emotional state of tension, right? And um, it's tension from generally something that is adversary to us, right? Whether it be a job or somebody or somebody at work, a situation that presses up against us and it creates that emotional or mental state um, of strain. Um, however, a stressor, um, Darren, you might have a better definition than I would, but generally I see stressors as the triggers that lead to the stress. Um, it's not necessarily the active part of being stressed, but it's the things that are the triggers that trigger stress. Darren, would you like to speak to maybe some stressors that you've seen, or maybe you even have a better definition than that? I'd be interested to hear your... I don't know um, if I have a better definition uh, in my in my head floating around, but there's, uh, you know, there are different triggers uh, for people. Um, but those, uh, I I know for in in my world that I, I live in with these officers, you know, some of, some of those stressors are d- just kind of that that state of readiness that they remain in and that kind of thing and and um right now of course what's riding over these officers head quite often is um when w- anytime they're in that situation where they m- may have to uh go hands on or use some measure of force um in the back of their head they're always thinking about is is this going to be is this going to be the scenario that leads to me being sued and losing my house? Uh, is in, is this going to be the one that puts me and my family in the news? Um, it's they, that is a, a real fear and a real stress they live under and not just them, but their spouses, you know, as they see some of the things that have gone on in our society and, and the way, um, the response to some of that, how that might trigger and affect their families. And so their spouses quite often, you know, why, why are you continuing with this job? Is it worth that $45,000 a year or what have you to to put our family at risk? Mm. Um, so that's certainly, um, a heavy stress stressor on them. And I think in terms of stress, not only does stress have an effect on the person, you know, and and what we do with that stress, I guess is really the question. I mean, does that lead us to being discouraged or to having, you know, struggling with with a with a season of depression? And I think the the stress itself and the, you know, the destruction sometimes that can have on our families without ever seeing that, you know, I think oftentimes in, in the counseling that I've had with individuals, sometimes you know, they themselves don't see how much it's affecting the other people around them as much as it's, you know, they, they understand how it's affecting them, but we often miss out on that piece of how your feelings and your stress is affecting everybody else around you, the people you work with, the people in your family. And, and quite often as you, if you talk with guys, uh, they'll, they think they're protecting their families, uh, by not opening up and sharing things with them, and, and they, they they think they're doing a good job of packing it in and and hiding that stress that they're under, uh, when that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, there's that increased irritability, mm-hmm. and there's that um, you know those that sh- fuse gets a little shorter, and maybe they they snap at their kids where they, they maybe they didn't do that um, before all the stress that they're under and. Um, and this, 
you know, couples, yeah, talk with them. And then, um, you know, sometimes that, that intimate time in the bedroom that goes by the wayside mm-hmm. um, and can have an effect on, on the marriage and things. Mm-hmm. And it, again, just some of those side effects of, of living under stress. Yeah. Right. And well, Go yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I just had a question. It was something I've been thinking of. Like, I know you've said that you've been doing this for a while now, like a pretty, like over a decade. It was 15 years, correct? 12 years. 12 years. Okay. So would you say that like stress seems to be more prevalent in the time frame we are currently in than even a decade or two ago? And maybe, maybe specifically not maybe in the police force, but I know in our culture, it seems to be more prevalent, at least like just by if you look at like statistics and you talk to people, it seems that people are more stressed out now than ever. Was that maybe because people just weren't talking about it a decade ago and they've always been stressed out or is stress something that is being like seemingly uh, a growing factor in our culture? I I think it's kind of all the above. You know, it's it's a complex uh, answer really to that. I think we do have more stress today. I, I think, um, however, I, you know, is it that there's more stressors, or is it um, are, are we just have are is we it more losing our ability yeah. to cope with that stress? Mm, right. Because uh, there, there's a book called Brave, Strong, True. Uh, which um, cite studies that, that are kind of outdated now, but it, it's interesting. These studies were done in the 80s and 90s, and they were showing that um, that people of faith, and not just people who say, like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower," and they, you know, no, the, the, but people of faith who are actively involved in a, in a church community and actively involved and in, in living out their faith hmm. um, were more resilient and were able to deal with, with uh, these stressors. And to me, there's, there's a direct correlation between people backing out of church, not living out their faith, and the rise of stress. Huh. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, could I say this? And I don't know if it, you would agree with this or not, but I think in, in a lot of our society today, our society today, there's a lot of talk on people taking time for leisure, taking time for themselves. I mean, I even think departments and places of work are, are more empathetic to like the time and the resources and things that people need. Yet there seems to be more exhaustion today yes. and in fatigue than ever before. And and I wonder if it's because we as a society are not truly resting, like yeah. and really experiencing genuine rest, you know, and even, I mean, I'm not so certain in the line where you're at, but I mean, I can think even in, in our roles as pastors, mm-hmm. I mean, pastors are in kind of the higher stress category. I think I actually remember you talking to, to me about this, about the correlations oh, between brother, I can... you being a pastor and going into <laughs> this role and saying, man, they were more similar than you thought. It's very interesting. I, I just had a conversation about this recently with uh, a couple of a couple of men that um, have kind of been on both sides of the fence as well. And and it's amazing how police officers and pastors um, it's it's you know it's somewhat apples and oranges, but um, 
it's amazing. Like if you ask the typical pastor, hey, how are you doing? The pastor is going to smile back at you and say, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> right. I'm right. doing great, brother. And you ask a police officer, they'll say, I'm fine. You know, I'm doing fine. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, police officers tend to um, back away from, from friendships and they don't have a lot of friends outside of law enforcement. Uh, you know, other people aren't going to get me and that kind of thing. And as pastors, we see quite often pastors don't have friends. Um, you know, they're afraid to get close to people in their congregation, you know, to and at that level and, you know, those deeper friendship levels. Um, and so they just put on this front that, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And, and yeah. I, there's a lot of correlation, mm-hmm. I think, between the two. Well, and part of it too, I think, is is the workload. I mean, in the time, and 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 the responsibility. But in in all of that, and you know, we can just talk about our experiences today. But I'm sure you're listening, and you could also think about like where you're coming to the table from, and the type of job that you're in that seems high stressed. And and often, you know, all of these things are many times the result of work. And work's a good thing. I mean, we look at the Bible. And God ordained work. I mean, it was a good thing. Sure. Yet, 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 we can, for many of us, can allow that work and our performance and our activity in that work to become the source of our identity, to be yeah. what defines us. And and if we're not careful, that can easily become a crushing burden. I I think it was an essay by uh, Benjamin Newitt. Uh, he made the statement. He says, "When good writing was my only goal in life, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth." And I think, yeah. man, you know, that's true. Like in life, if we're not careful, uh, work can be a good thing. But but if we make our work our identity and we, we center our life in, in what we do rather than who we are, that in of itself can become a crushing burden and an expectation that we can't live up to. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's um, – and I think it is true. I think you're correct in pointing out that that's one of the things I, I – try to help officers to see as well. It's like, you know, other people have stressful jobs, you know, go, go talk to nurses, talk to school teachers this past year and a half or so, you know, my wife is a school school teacher. I I can tell you firsthand just how stressful this past year and a half has been on her and the, and the new things that she's had to learn and the workload that she's been under. Um, I think anyone who really genuinely cares about the work that they do, the people that they're serving, or whatever their work happens to be, um, you you do you you do wrestle with allowing that to take over your identity, hmm. and 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 that certainly is true of law enforcement, and uh, it's true of pastors as oh, well. Oh, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's easy to center your life on on what you do. Yes. Uh, rather than, you know, have a better foundation and all that. So, so today we want to segue here just a minute and I want us to take some time to unpack what is rest and resiliency mm-hmm. look like within high stress jobs. And, and most importantly, how do we get it? You know, how, mm-hmm. how, how do we experience real rest and resiliency in the midst of all of that? So Darren, you want to get us started on that? And then we can just kind of talk about it a little bit. Sure. And, and, all of these things, I think, can be um, can re- be related back to scripture, and there's there's specific scriptures that will come to mind with this, uh, with with a lot of these things. Um, I, I have a whole list of things I go over sometimes, and and uh, uh, a friend of mine really is on point for this more than me. I just kind of uh, help him out a little bit, but uh, we do a trauma and workplace stress seminar. 
Okay. And okay. some of those things that we talk about are establishing appropriate boundaries. Um, and, and part of that is is making sure we're guarding our time with our family, um, that we that we do step away from that circle of work and in the, with the people I work with, it's stepping away from other officers and establishing, make sure we have relationships outside of law enforcement sure. so that we don't lose touch with kind of the real world, the other people out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So before we take a little bit of time, maybe to unpack some of the real practical things, what, what if we just took a moment here and unpacked what is resiliency? That may be a word that's new to some people. Actually, it's funny because that's a word that Tim Reagan brought up on the podcast mm-hmm. not too long ago when we were mm-hmm. talking about some things. And he was he actually made the statement. We weren't even talking about the workplace. We were talking about adolescent mental and emotional health. But he was like okay. young people today. Uh, he says young people today just don't have the resiliency uh, that it seems to be the generation before them had. And, and it seems like we haven't instilled that in Correct. them. So, so when you think about resiliency and then in your line of work, what comes to your mind? Uh, one of the definitions that we kind of run with is uh, resiliency is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, hmm. toughness. And if you, if you think about uh, a boxing match, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's getting back off the mat when you get knocked down, right? It's, it's, uh, it's taking that hit and and, and getting back up. Um, so it's it's that it's that capacity to to absorb the, that blow and, and keep going. So is resiliency? Is it something that's going to be like learned? Is it something that's like created or like maybe we want to use the word manufactured? Like can I can I like just like manufacture resiliency up in my like soul and just be ready to go? Or is it maybe something that I actually have to learn over time and maybe get into that frame of mind? I think it's kind of a both and kind of situation where I think that it is something that we can um, kind of mentally prepare for, but there's nothing like failing. There's nothing like going through a few difficult days to help build that resiliency. Um, And I think that's where we're failing our children many times is as parents, we, we, we don't want to see our children to fail. We want to see them succeed always. And, and if we're not careful, we can protect them so much and bail them out so much that they never feel the weight of a poor decision or they, until it's a big decision. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. And so they haven't built up that ability to be resilient. Um, so I think that's one way that, that we have failed our children, um, huh. kind of that participation trophy mindset, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And also going back to what you had said earlier, we don't want to separate the fact that um, from the studies you mentioned, it seems that resiliency specifically in police officers from that study you shared, but resiliency does seem to be tied to one's faith. And uh, resiliency does seem to be tied to this um, confidence that one has through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you cited that study earlier that uh, it was pretty overwhelming, the statistics <laughs> for officers, I believe, who dealt with stress correctly. Is that correct? Well, and, and that wasn't just that wasn't just for officers. Okay, that was people in general. Okay. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's I mean, if you if you think about it, if if. And certainly I, I see my identity in Christ, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's where I find my identity. And, and so if, 
if we have that faith to believe that God keeps his word and we have those promises there, we have this God who invites us, who welcomes us to unload the burdens of life at his feet and, and to to know that we're yoked together with him. It's mm-hmm. like if that's true, then we ought to experience that measure of relief and resiliency, and and I will tell you that's my testimony for sure. Mm-hmm. sure. And I'm yeah. sure you guys would echo the same. Exactly. Well, I think about what you say that I think about Matthew 11, where Jesus says to come unto Him all that labor and are heavy laden. Yes. And He promises rest. Yes. Right. And so you know He He invites us to leave our self reliant effort, our sins, our presumptions, everything that we have relied on and trusted in and to come in repentance and faith to him and he promises to give us rest and so you know when we think about that i I guess i guess it's one of those things that i would probably agree exactly with what you're saying that um resiliency is something that i think when i hear that word it's not a word that i don't think you find in scripture but the principle of resiliency i think you see that Mm-hmm. All throughout, Stephen Sinton, you're shaking his head. Yes, like you see it all throughout Scripture. In that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think about the virtues that Peter is talking about. You think about, you know, uh, let patience have its perfect endurance. You know, it's that, it's that image of having this incredible weight placed on you. That stress, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This weight p- placed on you, but yet there's that patient endurance. There's that. Res- yeah. I I would say the word resiliency. It's that. It's, perseverance. It's that yeah. perseverance that yeah. um, it, it in many ways is learned. It is learned. And um, well, I think of Peter specifically, like yeah. the dude, <laughs> he had a real time earlier on in his disciple <laughs> as a disciple of Jesus Christ in his ministry. I mean, he denied Jesus Christ. He had some questions and he was kind of really brash and he was like a loose cannon, but he was resilient through those um, failures. And he comes back around and ends up being used by God to preach at the day of Pentecost and thousands are saved, you know? And so there is a resiliency there, but I would agree with you. I think it is something that's learned. And I think, yeah, you, there is a decision you have to make ultimately, right? Of I will be resilient probably, but I think it is something that's learned of going through failures. And I would agree with you, Darren, of about the, um, the participation style (laughs) that we have in this day is not conducive. It's not conducive to, um, always succeed. It, it's actually more conducive to fail and to teach failing well, because yes. there is a, there is a failing that's bad to where you make someone sh- ashamed or embarrassed because they, they're a failure. And that, that is absolutely wrong, but there is a benefit to failing at something and then being resilient and coming back again and conquering that same thing that you failed at. at. I just came from a youth camp a couple of weeks ago where I was I was serving uh, there uh, with 450 teenagers roughly, mm-hmm. and it it's first camp I had been to in many years, and uh, it was incredible to see because they they divided everyone up into four teams, they competed against each other, and there were winners and there were losers <laughs> in each activities. Mm-hmm. And everybody had to participate in these things. And, and it just so happened that my team was the blue team. Uh, go police. Uh, but um, we were third place day one, third place day two, third place day three. And I'm like, man, I mean, we weren't loaded up with athletes and things. So any of the, the physical, more athletic types of events, man, we, we, were taking a, we were taking a hit. And I'm like, 
But at day four, second place, and day five, we finally found their their sweet spot. But they had a team cheer we had to do, and the the guys who were leading that came up with this basically a musical kind of thing that did like three Disney songs or whatever. And it was like a glee club or something gone wild. And (laughs) and we took first place and we won first place by 50 points. Why do I mention that? Because they failed again and again and again at, at the various activities, but we kept pushing and encouraging and, and, you know, working with them and set the bar high and they went for it Mm -hmm. and they ended up coming out on top uh they had twenty four thousand five hundred points which meant they only won by 50 points over second place Mm. and there there was only one trophy one big Mm -hmm. cup like stanley cup looking trophy um that was won for the year so it's not about athletics it's not about that kind of thing but it is about setting high standards for our children um letting them experience some failure and some and um feel some pain along the way mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that pain is inflicted by others sometimes it's their own poor decisions but if we bail them out and take away the sting from some of those things they never learn to problem solve they never learn to be resilient to get back up off the mat and there, there's certainly inappropriate ways of doing that, like you were alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we're abusive in any way or, or um, shaming people or that kind of thing. But I don't think we're doing our younger people any favors by um, bailing them out every time. Yeah. And, and it's like, too, like when I'm talking to families, because that's part of my job as an associate, especially working with students and their families, it's like let your kid fail, you know, but then show them the way back. Like don't leave them in failure land. Don't leave them over there where they lost, let them lose, but then show them the way back, show them the way out, show them the correct way of doing it so that they can come back and be resilient over what they were. So I completely agree with you on all of that. And I think that that is all uh, really helpful in being resilient. So we, we are to be resilient against stress but earlier you had mentioned some things about maybe how we can address stress in our lives right so like a resiliency would be that attitude but then like maybe thinking through some practical and biblical principles of how we can address stress in our lives i think would be helpful and like one of the first things i had a question about was like is there a difference between um this stress that is maybe you could call it self-induced stress or situational stress. Basically, can I bring stress upon myself or is stress always something that's coming from the outside in or can it come from the inside out? You know, like, can I make things more stressful than they need to be? We absolutely can. And, I, and I'll give you an example of um, if you think about dispatchers for a moment, uh, you know, dispatchers will, uh, they'll take a call, they'll send, you know, fire and rescue they'll send the police out to a scene and maybe the only detail that maybe the, maybe what they've heard is that um a child was was run over mm-hmm. all right and, and so they dispatch someone onto the scene and then they they tag out mm-hmm. well maybe what happened is that 
a child was kind of run over at a, you know, that someone was backing out of the driveway. They ran over a child, but it was in the middle of the car. The child has a couple of scratches, but was unharmed otherwise. If the dispatcher doesn't know that, the imagination runs wild mm -hmm. and will start filling the gaps with the worst case scenario. And so it doesn't matter if it's if it's something that's real or something that's just perceived or that's created that stress mm -hmm. can absolutely be generated for, uh, generated from the inside right you know with our own minds running amok you know yeah yeah no true very true and i think um i mean as i think about resiliency i think back to that verse in proverbs 24 that talks about a just man falls seven times and he rises up again i mean what a picture sure. Of resiliency, and I think, um, I, I think, honestly, if if I look at my life, and a lot of times, far oftentimes, life has a way of bringing circumstances and situations in our life that uh, man, we 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 couldn't prepare for even if we wanted to. I mean, they just things happen in in a broken world in this way, and sometimes those things have a way of producing bringing stress. But I would say far more often, I would say probably in our place of work, we bring more stress upon ourselves because we're, un we're unwilling or unable to really work through that in a proper way. So what do you think about that? There's, I guess one of the things that's related to that, and, and this might be a little bit of a, a rabbit hole. <laughs> if it is, we'll shoot the rabbit. So, okay. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you're a Tennessee guy, right? I'm pretty yeah, sure you know how to yeah. shoot a rabbit. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, I, I think what, what I see so often is is this this people are hungry for, for more stuff, and they, and they put so much focus on, I've got to have this, i got to have mm -hmm. that, and they feel like they right. – and they, they chase after riches of this world, and – that puts them in the that puts stress on to have to perform at an incredible level at work, work more overtime, work right. a second job or or go for a job that maybe isn't a good fit for them, but it pays better and but they gotta have that because of what they perceive they have to have so they they bring a lot of stress on financial stress on just because of their own appetite for things that maybe aren't that important. Yeah, which they did not necessarily have to do, which I think I was kind of referencing earlier with that self-induced. Like many times I find, I mean, just in my life or just even working with like teens on a regular basis, adults as well, many times we bring stress on to ourselves by poor decisions. And then we get so overwhelmed because there's so much stress that it's like, well, if you could reduce the stress that you've placed on yourself because of your poor decisions by addressing those, that would at least lighten the load by like quite a large percentage to where you can maybe actually walk through and deal with the actual stress you're facing from outside forces that you have no control over, you know? Yeah, Cause, cause let me just clarify what I was saying. Cause I think when I think about you and the line of work that you're in far more of that stress comes through situations like even the situation, even the role that those men and women are in, like it is, uh, and, and given the climate of, of America today, I mean, in that role, I mean, you could to compound the stress of the perceptions 
from people in society there. But I, I think your point, Stephen, is that it is either or. I mean, it can be both and. It, it can mm-hmm. come through situationally the role, the place, the vocation that you're in. And it can also be self-inflicted <clears throat> by maybe what we're going to talk about here in just a moment, maybe a, a failure to really work through that in, in a healthy way. And and that's that's a big one, right? Because there is a very real stress, you know, a lot of nearly a hundred percent of law enforcement agencies are are under you know, understaffed right now. They don't have the sworn officers they need to have. Um the departments here in this valley, they're down dozens, um and in some departments more than others, and it it's showing up. And and so there's not near enough people to do the work. So the people, it puts more stress on the few that are there to do it. So they're carrying more workload. They're working more overtime. Sometimes that's a forced thing um, and not just something that they're volunteering for. So they're kind of tapped out there. They're, and so you take somebody um, – and listen, even people of faith make poor decisions at times. Mm-hmm. I think we yes. all, we all know that. Yes. We all see yes. that. And it, I, you know, just being real, I, I've you know, I've I've made some poor decisions mm-hmm. too when I've I've been under stress. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, they they haven't been the whoppers, and <laughs> thankfully to this point they haven't, and we're going to keep it that way. But um, but you think what happens? These guys they get increasingly stressed at work and stuff like that, if, and that they don't have those healthy outlets and healthy ways of coping and and working through to build that resilience they make a say a poor relationship decision mm-hmm. or they go out and buy that um seventy five thousand dollar pickup mm-hmm. which still if my dad heard that he, it, it would blow his mind um and so now they they're really under the gun financially. So they they've created more stress for themselves to make that payment on a seventy five thousand dollar truck, um, or they've you know gotten somebody pregnant, or they've mm-hmm. you know they've lost their marriage or whatever the case might be. So they've compounded the stress because they haven't had those coping mechanisms and those healthy ways of dealing with things in place. And and I think probably what we would talk about here on the podcast today is, you know, when we think about where we land, it's, it's, it's rooting all of these things in the firm foundation of God's word. You know, we talked about uh, Jesus calling people to him. He says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, right? And I'll give you rest. And so many times in the gospels and in the Bible as a whole, you find uh, really Jesus calling us to cast our burdens on the Lord, like to find him as our firm foundation to, um, to, to really anchor our life, to center our life, our identity on him. And that ultimately anything else that we, we would center our life on, uh, to try and cope or deal with some of that stuff apart from Christ. Ultimately the Bible talks about, it, it's like building your house on a foundation of sand. It's just yes. not able to, to sustain you. It's not able yeah. to hold you up. And so uh, it's our conviction. I think it's yours as well. That, that, you know, when we think about uh, the gospel, that the gospel offers true rest from some of these things and the gospel yes. actually doesn't just offer a way to cope through it, but the Bible is actually giving a, a way to how to, to deal with it. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, uh, to, to find, to find true peace 
and uh, rest in these things. So mm-hmm. could we just go around the table maybe and talk about a couple? Of, I mean, we don't have time to exhaust the whole Bible today, but could we could we go to a couple places in Scripture where we see that, hey, the Bible's really laying out this principle for rest or to really anchor our life on a firm foundation? And what does that look like in, in people who are in real high-stress jobs? I mean, what are some real biblical things that we can point them to here? Well, I think of just the element of trust. Um, trust is something that you find in the Bible. And it seems like stress is an opportunity for trust. And um, I know that stress is real. I've experienced stress in my life. I'm sure every person at this table has experienced stress in their life. And I know stress and um, it's, a, it's a different ballgame, anxiety. But stress and anxiety a lot of times go hand in hand. They're defined differently and they are different. But many times people who deal with stress deal with anxiety and both and and I find that those opportunities are opportunities to trust in God. You know, you, you go through the Psalms and you read verses like what time I am afraid. Okay. Well, there's obvious fear. There's obvious emotional strain. There is, um, a real situation there. What time I am afraid, what happens? I will trust in thee. And it's like this, uh, this is an opportunity for trust. And something I've been convicted of recently in my life is like, do I really actually have faith in God? You know, and I think we always we always say we have faith in God. Well, yeah, I believe, I believe, you know, because that's how I became a Christian. I believed in Jesus, right? But when it comes to a daily basis, do I actually believe that he's enough to satisfy me, to provide for me? And if I do, then I should be able to find my identity in Christ and not what I'm doing And yeah, I might still deal with stress, but stress should be much lightened off of my shoulders if I truly am able to trust in the one who God, as God has described himself in scripture. And it's not saying that stress will just instantly just vanish out of my life, but I should be able to deal with it much more uh, resiliently (laughs) than before. It would be what I believe the Bible lays out. Cause you see that in the life of David, a a guy who experienced a lot of high stress situations. Right. But then he writes those Psalms, like what time I am afraid I will trust in thee, you know? And you see that David experienced fear. He experienced stress. Um, but constantly he went back to his foundation and it's, his relationship with God Almighty. That's good. That's good. Dear, and I have a question for you as we talk sure. about building our foundation, right, on Christ. Um, I, I know you serve men and women in all those different law enforcement places. And, um, and, and, and you know, you see a lot of the stress that they're dealing with individually or maybe as a, as a whole unit uh, in certain things. Could you speak to just a moment? Um, I'm sure you serve alongside uh, people that would, claim to be a born again Christian, somebody that's truly come to Christ for salvation and experience that true rest. Uh, could you speak to a little bit what, what you see out in, in, in the place that you serve, like uh, those that have been born again, what, what that, how, how they might handle stress in different ways. I, I think the big thing that I see, um, and again, not you know, uh, none of us are perfect and that kind of thing. But in general, what I see of those who who seem to have a genuine, heartfelt conversion to 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 Christ, that they're like they're all in with Jesus, right? In general, what I I see is just their their decision making is healthier, uh-huh. um, whether it's regarding um, finances, relationships. 
um, you know, not leaning on alcohol, for example, um, they, they try to, uh, stay active in their, in their local congregation. Uh, they, they, they maintain, um, those healthy relationships with people of like faith, um, which is one of the things actually I was, I was going to mention, you know, just a very practical thing that Jesus did. We, we think about, you know, Jesus ministering to the multitudes and that kind of thing. Well, but he, he had the 12 and he had the three, right, with Peter, James, and John. And then even in among the three, he had the beloved one, John. Um, we, yes, he was he was equipping. Yes, he was pouring into them. But yes, he also leaned on them. Right, he's sure. also like, "Hey, come pray with me." Like, right. it, like he he established some healthy relationships, uh, and with, with with people that he 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 should have. You well, he know? had trust in in um, companionship. I mean, with with those men. I mean, they yes. had served with him in ministry and for the all kind those of thing. years. In, in fact, um, later this evening. There's two young officers uh, and their and their wives. They they both have gotten uh, married in recent months, and um, reached out to my wife and I and invited us over for a, for a game night. That's great. And I was I talked with my wife last night. I said, "How crazy is it that we've got two guys in their in you know like twenty in their late twenties, mid to late twenties, inviting us." old people i'm an old guy now i guess i mean <laughs> I, i'm looking around this table and i'm i'm 47 i'll be 48 in september and they're inviting me and my wife over that's great but they have those two are solid believers and here they are inviting a christian chaplain over and his wife over to hang out together for a game night yes but I guarantee we're going to be talking about matters of faith along the way as well. Sure. I guarantee it. Sure. And that's the that's the big one of the big things I see in in the Christians that are in the departments. Being able to talk to somebody maybe more openly about some of those things, you say? Or one of the things I get, um, it kind of goes in waves. Sometimes I don't hear a whole lot of feedback from guys on the positive end of things, but when I do. It's like Chaplain Potter. I'm so glad you're here because it's like there's somebody of faith that is, you know, standing up for faith and and just kind of it's encouraging to have you around. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like that in any work situation. Some you know, sometimes you can feel like as a Christian you're the only one there. And um, so developing those those stronger bonds with people of like faith in appropriate ways, mm-hmm. of course, is so, so helpful when we're talking about resilience. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like community, uh, stronger together yes. than by yourself, right? And so like, yeah, I would completely agree. And I think like, yes, trust, yes, check your foundation. Now, prayer is a big one. And we, we don't really have a time to probably dive into it as deeply as we could, but I mean, praying, uh, how, how helpful is it to pray when we're stressed? You know, like I know when I'm stressed, yes. if I pray constantly and consistently, like scripture tells me to, 
I find it hard to be as stressed out as I generally am. Now, I'm not saying that like, again, I'm not saying that I'd never face stress, but I'm saying it becomes a whole lot easier to deal with the stress and address it and move past it whenever I'm praying like scripture well, says. And even you know? for you being a Christian, like that you're, you're casting that stress on exactly. as with the Bible commands Cast us, your cares to the Lord, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, 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 it's helping pull that weight off of your shoulders yeah. and put it on the one who, who is able and capable uh, to, to handle that pressure. I mean, we were never created to. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and so he calls us to do that. I, you know, one that we haven't said yet that I think is very important. You can see it in the old Testament and in the new Testament is the whole principle of a Sabbath. Yes. Uh, taking a day of rest. You know, sometimes people will point to that and say, Oh, that was just an old Testament command. No, it wasn't look in the new Testament, look at the book of Hebrews and, and consider how um, the Bible's talking about how even Jesus himself is our Sabbath rest. And it's, and it's this whole point to, to remind us that uh, it points us to the one who really is providing for us. I mean, the whole point of the Sabbath was, you know, to point to the one who created, I mean, yeah. to point to the one who is our provider and, uh, to really uh, take moments where we are able to decompress. I think it's like the word you were talking about, mm-hmm. like to be able to decompress through some things. I just know personally in my life, uh, a couple months ago, I was talking to a brother, somebody in our church that I was able to really confide in and open up with about and just talk to some about some things happening in my life in particular. And uh, I just remember I kind of like broke down in front of him. He looked at me and says, do you think you need a sabbatical? <laughs> and I said, oh, I don't think I need a sabbatical. He says, well, you, you might need a sabbatical more than you think. And uh, and so actually I've scheduled a sabbatical. I'm taking off here a couple nice. of weeks in August. But it's just one of those things where like, I think sometimes we don't see that in ourselves. Like we, you know, we, we enjoy our work. I mean, I mean, honestly, I would say those that are going into law enforcement today have a real passion for why they're going into it. I mean, in the midst of all that they are having to face in our society today, um, you know, for many of those guys, I know two of my best friends work in law enforcement and for them, you know, that's their calling. Like that's, that's what they believe God's uh, called them into. And, you know, I think anybody who serves in a high stress job like that, I mean, they do so because they believe that, man, that's where God's placed them. Like that's what he's mm-hmm. called them to do. And I think, it, you know, just because we love our work so much and we, we, we love the, Sometimes people love the stress of that, you know, like they, they're, they're fueled by some of that. Sure. That does not mean that we don't need time to stop and to rest. And the principle of the Sabbath, not only in the week, but even moments of sabbatical of, of taking real time to, to work through some things. And what I love is so many of the things we're talking about. There's, there is to, like people from strictly a mental health standpoint viewpoint would say, Yes, there's great value in, in talking this stuff out and, and you know and you know, people outside the faith might look at prayer as just talking it out and, and that kind of thing. But then there's the su- the supernatural aspect of what God does right. when we when we pray and and, uh, and just to encourage you that two weeks, experts say that it takes anytime you can take two full weeks off, it takes two full weeks to really decompress. Hmm. And so if any time you can have a vacation where you do two weeks back to back, that's when you're really going to get the most out of a vacation. That's good. And for most of us, it's like, oh, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, let, me, let me know that when happens? that works. Yeah, let me know when that works. <laughs> well, hey, listen, we don't have much time left, but just practically before we sign off here, how can Christians uh, better serve our first responders and uh, how could they help even in the midst of such a day like today uh, 
what would be your encouragement to the church in all of this? Three things, uh, I, I guess. Number one, pray. And, and it seems like, yeah, well, that's the church answer. And it, that is the answer. Pray. Sure. Uh, if we really believe God answers prayer, pray. Lift them up. Lift their families up. Uh, the second thing, th- those little thank yous, just like you know, see them out in public, like like don't walk up to their car and knock on their window. That's that's a bad plan, <laughs> all right? Have, okay. Uh, but if you see them out somewhere where you can you know catch your attention, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. It really does go a long way. So even those guys will play it off, that kind of thing. Everybody, I don't care who it is, everybody wants to be appreciated. But the bigger picture, man, be the best mom, be the best dad that you can to your children. Teach them the ways of Christ, what's right, what's wrong. Um, ultimately, that's what we need more of is homes centered on Christ. Um that's the that's the right now we've got a real dilemma in Roanoke City of teenagers shooting each other, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. going going on. It seems like every week now, sometimes multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. We need parents, Christ centered parents, to really do their jobs to teach their children right from wrong, instilling God's word in them and and leading them to faith. Well, and I just go back to what you were saying there with the gospel. The gospel can uh, transform a heart. It has the way to transform a community. We can look at the New Testament and see the way that communities were completely turned upside down because of the power of the gospel. And so, Darren, I just want to, on behalf of us, we want to thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, you're doing so much uh, in our community in with these men and women and their families. Uh, I think you've, you have addressed uh, such a tremendous need, and I think you're showing and really exposing that need uh, to more people. And so I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing there. Well, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the support that that, that uh, Catawba Valley Baptist Church has, has given mm-hmm. to S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, hey, listen, we're going to sign off here, and we hope you'll join us here next time on the podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything we talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, uh, be sure to reach out to us on social media, both on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website at whereweland.org. Well, hey, listen, we hope to join you here next time, and we'll see you then.